So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're visiting with us, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. And this morning, we come to a text of scripture that can be somewhat hard to go through, somewhat painful, um, but very important as we go through this, as we deal with the topic of divorce over the next two weeks. That's my plan. And then when we talk about divorce, you're talking about dissolving a marriage. You're talking about dissolving something that's more than a business partnership. And when you look at this, as I was doing some reading and studying this week and what our culture says, whether it's secular, whether it's uh, from a Christian perspective, there's the talk and the writings that you go through a divorce, it is more emotional than even the death of a spouse. Um, It's one of the most, if not the most, emotional thing that you can go through when you go through a divorce. And for those of you who haven't been with us, this entire chapter is dealing with relationships. The Apostle Paul is answering questions. We think that they were very, um, the church at Corinth was very confused about celibacy. and, And so Paul worked through a whole bunch of issues regarding that subject matter and matters regarding getting married in verses 1 through 9, but now he turns to talk about this subject about divorce. And so we have it on the slide. I don't need the lights go off. This is our subject matter. We're going to see that as we go through verses 10 through 16 over the next two weeks that we're going to deal with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I didn't put up the passage. Let me just read again verse 10. It says, but to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. This entire section will go on down to verse 16. And as we go through this, we're talking about principles of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And what it's important for us to see as this text is talking to people who are professing Christians. This isn't a message that we're to take out necessarily to the world per se, but this is people who have God in their marriage. And you have a husband, you have a wife, and I can tell you that in a good marriage, you have three people. I believe God is a person. And if you go into a relationship and it's just the two of you, that's the problem. You're you're not going to be bound together. You're not going to be tied together. They're not going to have that spiritual blessing. And you will and have, I'm sure some of you have been through this, have suffered because God hasn't been in it. And the key, I believe, always is that if the husband and wife are both staying with God, focused on God, they stay together and have a richer relationship. The blessing, I can personally give testimony, is there because of God being in our lives. And when we talk about divorce, we're talking about something that's incredibly painful divorce is very painful and the scissors of the cutting the marriage certificate here i think is the imagery the idea that it splits two people that god has joined together and so i want it to be known that uh as we come to this subject i know it's a very sensitive one i'm not trying to offend anyone i want to make sure the church is always caring for hurting people and people that get hurt by divorce Um, It's good, though, to go through this material because I believe the majority of families now in our culture have dealt with this. I often shared when I was growing up in the 1960s, first grade, second grade in 1966, 1967, I don't think I knew anyone that was divorced. 
I don't think that our that kid, <laughs> my, my fellow first graders being divorced, um, I didn't know kids that came from divorced families, maybe one or two on occasion in our classrooms. But by the time that I was dealing with kids from a teaching perspective and teaching second grade and in a Sunday school in 1992, 1993, half, the, half of the room, the kids were from divorced families. And here's some statistics I've got from the U.S. Census Bureau. In 1920, one, there was one divorce for every seven marriages in America. Okay? And as you see, as you go 40, 60, it, 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 your divorce becomes more pre- prevalent. So by the time we come to 1972, for every three people that got married, one of them were, was ending up in a divorce. And then in 1977, there was, it, it got to this point, this low point, of one and two, and then you say, wait a second, wow, 19, 2018, it's up to about 3.5. Things are improving, right? Things are getting better. No, they're not. Why the increase? It's not because of people staying married. It's because people are living together now and not getting married, okay? So what we got to understand is that sometimes you have to play with statistics, and we have to understand that. Um, What I want to do is, before we get into our text, I want you to understand some key principles regarding the scriptures, regarding divorce and remarriage. And as we go through these, it's very important you always keep these in the back of your mind. Now, as we go through our text today, we're going to be focusing on what God wants for Christians I think he realizes as you deal with unbelievers, they're not going to be playing by rules that God has established. So he's not going to be putting those um, restrictions on them. But here's like a general consensus. We all understand that ultimately when God created man and woman, he did want them to be married. And this is a verse. And the reason I, I rarely put verses up on the screen, but I wanted to put these up so that I can quickly go through them and without having you flip through your Bibles. There's many other times we'll flip through the Bible, but not right now. Genesis 2.24 is a foundational passage. Jesus will quote this in Matthew 19, that for this cause a man shall leave his mother, his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This idea of one flesh is the unity of marriage. It, it, by the Matthew 19 and other passages, it's really clear. That's the intent. It's a spiritual union and then it is also a physical union to be representing the sexual relationship that a husband and wife have. And so we've already established through our other studies, marriage is one man to one woman. God has established that. So I'm not going to go back into that. But it's important that we understand that when God talks about divorce, he talks about hating it. This is a passage from the book of Malachi. Not taking this out of context, God was chiding the people of Israel. He, he was dealing with the fact that, that they were divorcing their spouses, and we believe they were doing it for very frivolous reasons, and, they, and God is bringing judgment upon these people because they don't really believe in him. And, and that is tied in to their practice of getting divorced. But here's a general rule. God hates divorce. God doesn't want marriages to be split apart. And yet, here we at this. They say to him in Matthew 19, they were questioning Jesus, and they said to Jesus, 
Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. So God did allow divorce. God did allow divorce. And when we talk about God allowing divorce, all right, something to keep in the back of your mind, it is an allowance that includes remarriage, all right? It includes remarriage. And here becomes what is called the exception clause, all right? If God hates divorce, God, though, allows divorce because of sin, this is what is considered the exception clause that is the key for allowing a remarriage. And Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. This word immorality is a Greek word, pornonia, that is of somewhat debate, wide range. Does it include adultery? I think there's almost no debate that it definitely includes um, that, but does it go beyond that? And I think there is some aspects. That's why that God did not use just a word for adultery. He used this word, that it's broad enough to include that. Um, in my 30-some years of being a pastor, I did know a man who never had a sexual relationship on his wife, but he ended up spending um, almost every night. We're talking like midnight to 6 a.m. in the morning. I don't even know how he got his work done. But he spent it on the internet looking at pornography. And finally his wife said, enough's enough. I can't take this. And she kept begging him and begging him and begging him to stop. And she ended up using this, I think, appropriately to end up getting a divorce. So those are the four key passages that we understand underlie so much of what we're going to be talking about. When we talk about divorce, I want you to understand there are two forms of divorce. Number one... There is a state divorce, and number two, there is a biblical divorce. Both of these concepts are going to be in our passage. And it's very important that you understand the difference, that these are two different types. Okay, With the idea of a state divorce, you are granted by the government. Now, think about this, too. When you recognize a marriage, somehow there's never in Scripture a a prescription on how you get officially recognized as married. Um, There's just, I think, the underlying thought that somehow your society, your community is going to recognize it. There's no prescription that we ever have a service. We never have to have something here at the church. You can just go down, you get married, government, the community somehow recognizes it. Well, in the same way, there is a sense where Scripture picks that up, that there is a concept that that somehow the state, the community, is going to grant this separation in this marriage. And doesn't deal with, you know, alimony, child support, any of that. I think it's all going to be part of the community, how that's going to be handled. But when you have this divorce, if the state allows a divorce, it allows remarriage, okay? It allows remarriage. And what we need to understand is this third principle here, our point God may or may not allow remarriage as God may still consider the couple married in his eyes. So a person can go out and get a state divorce but not be considered to have the biblical divorce. And the biblical divorce is this. When you've got a biblical divorce, you've got these aspects. You've got marriage, divorce, and then remarriage allowed. 
So it's recognized by the government. The, you know, it's going to have the state divorce, but it meets the scripture's requirements for remarriage. And we're going to talk about those today. All right. So here what we're dealing with today is that we're dealing with Christians married to other Christians. So look at verse 10. When the Apostle Paul is going through this and he says, he says, but to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should, should, should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So when he says, but to the married, you can put in there, but to the married Christian. Okay, it's, it's clear in this context, we're talking, we're dealing with a Christian, whether they are married to another believer or whether they're married to an unbeliever, all right? Those are the only two scenarios that we have. If you're a Christian, you're either going to be married to a, another Christian or you're going to be married to a non-Christian. We're going to deal with the marriages with non-Christians next week. This week, we're just dealing with this scenario, Christians married to other Christians. So when he says, to the married, I give instructions, not I. Why do we say that? Um, he goes, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. He wants to make it sure that this is the Lord's, God's prescription for what he expects in a marriage relationship. And he says, the wife should not leave her husband. That word for leave is a Greek word that can mean to separate, to depart, and also mean to divorce. When the Apostle Paul comes down to verse 11, he uses a different word for divorce. And there's some people saying, well, then, you know, we've got a wife and a husband. We've got two different situations. I just think, based upon the context, that Paul was just using different shades of meaning, different words, but not necessarily trying to bring a distinction. Um, I've got a book in my office by a pastor. I think it was written in the early 1900s. It it was um, a, a pastor named Guy Duty. It is the best exegetical detail i believe in the scriptures that if you want more info than i'll even give you this morning guy duty g-u-i-d-u-t-i-y it's a classic it's he'll go into this even more these two words clearly mean divorce so verse 10 could have been the wife should not divorce her husband by leaving him um, and then the other word is the husband should not divorce his wife. So, but he goes, but if she does leave, now wait a second, if she does leave, now here becomes part of the challenge for us as a church and recognizing that when you're starting to deal with sexual problems and sexual sins and the, the dissolution of marriages, you know, do we start dealing with church discipline? Where do we step in, step out? And here's where our, our elders have debated and I've struggled with this. And I think as I've gone back and we've read and we've come to the conclusion that what you have here is if she does leave, that, okay, if there's a situation where a wife comes to the point and she believes that she should divorce her husband, she can leave. But then she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled. And the reconciliation is brought back, remarried, restored, bring it back to her husband. And that the husband... Uh, likewise should not divorce his wife okay so you got this very simple instruction and and let's break this down if you got your sermon notes because i want to make it just really clear so here we go so number one what we get from this passage is that you fill in the blank if you're a christian you're married to another christian don't initiate a divorce 
initiate. The idea of start, it's, it's like, you know, be the one that goes to court, goes to the file and say, look, I want a divorce. That is not your responsibility. And part of this passage in Matthew 19 where people begin to like, wait a second, how this is crazy. You know, if this is what a marriage is supposed to be, then, then why should anyone like really get married? And the idea is, is that you need to understand that this is what God wants. God wants to recognize there's some level of permanency and because we're believers, because there is, a, I believe, a, a, a uniting that we saw in chapter 6 with the Holy Spirit, that this occurs in a far deeper sense in a Christian marriage than it does in a, even a secular marriage. And, and I think there's, there is the blessing that believers have the Holy Spirit uniting them, believers in a marriage relationship. So there's this idea here, don't initiate a divorce. Yet, here's the fact that there are, sin, there, are, there are divorce options due to sin in the world. So is there a situation, now you have to follow this, Christians aren't to initiate a divorce, but could a Christian wife or a Christian husband go to the court and say, listen, I've got, a, I've got a situation and I need to initiate a divorce and not be in sin? And I'm going to tell you, absolutely yes. And that's what this is. Yes, there are divorce options due to sin in the world. So here we go. Yes, there are divorce options due to sin in the world. This is the same point that I had before, but now this is the subpoints. Number one, you have the state divorce. And number two, you have the biblical divorce. All right? Interestingly enough, this is often missed. Like if you talk to uh, Christians, they'll say, oh, I know there's two reasons for a Christian to get divorced. A Christian can get divorced if their spouse has an affair or if the unbelieving partner leaves. And we'll talk about that part next week. What's often missed is the aspect of the state divorce that we're going to talk about today. So under a state divorce, fill this in, a state divorce is allowed by God but with these requirements by God. Now, you might think if you were editing this for me, you'd say, boy, you put by God in there twice. You know, you didn't need to. I needed to to emphasize this because you look at verse 10 when the Apostle Paul says, to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. I want to make it very clear. I'm trying my very best for you to understand this isn't my personal opinion. This is God's instructions. These are God's instructions. So, God says, God expects no remarriage by either partner if there's no sexual sin. So if you go out and you recognize there's a situation where I need to get divorced because I believe my spouse is going to harm me or my spouse is gambling or my spouse is doing drugs and I can't stop them. I think there's a biblical sense where no church discipline would come about. You have the right, I believe, to go out and get a divorce, but this is where you can't play games. God is saying no remarriage. You can't, you can't get remarried. And you say, well, wait a second, that's not fair. You know, I'm 25 years old and I'm, you know, I'm a young person and, and I've got this whacked out spouse and you're going to tell me that I can't get remarried? And, and I'm going to say yes until... The other spouse commits sexual sin. That's where the Matthew 19 part comes in. We're going to turn there in a second. So, you know, this is where 
as a pastor, you get into sometimes the struggle, the he said, she said, because you don't know what's going on inside four walls. Because about a year ago, I was dealing with a pastor in another state, and he was telling me that he was was having his wife, she was coming to him, and she was dealing with the fact that how abusive he is. He comes to church, and he's this wonderful guy, but when you get in get him behind the four walls of the house he's just mean he's vile and he's also saying to her on a regular basis i can't wait till i kill you and 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 so one night she woke up the pastor told me and he's standing over her with a knife and you know the thought is oh christian you know wife you go back and you just keep submitting to your husband no we want a wife in that situation you got a whacked out husband you know and if he comes out and says well i never did that well ultimately you're going to be held accountable if you're lying woman but at the same time the church wants to wants to protect her so she can go to the state she can get her divorce but here's the thing god expects no remarriage look Look at, so look at verse 11. But if she does leave, okay, she must remain unmarried. She has to remain unmarried. Now, this is for believers. You know, if you say, well, wait a second, I was an unbeliever, and I was married, and, you know, and my spouse left. These aren't for unbelievers. These are for, uh, these are for believers. That's why it's very important to understand in verse 10, but to the married by the implication to the married believer and we'll see it even more as we move through the entire chapter so he says but to the married verse 11 but if she does leave she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled okay to her husband so that makes it something where you can see this is like really really serious because you know if someone's going to be playing a game and thinking that they can just get in and out of their marriage then they they cannot they cannot um, just go out and marry anybody because they're under under judgment and this is really where it gets hard for the church to put a person under church discipline but that is what happens should happen if they violate this principle God expects no remarriage by either partner if there's no sexual sin remarriage then though is allowed by when one of them commits sexual sin turn over to matthew 19 so you can see this in context this matthew chapter 19 last week of christ's life um or real close to it matthew 19 let's see yeah real close because it got the triumphal entry in chapter 21 so right before the last week real close to it chapter 19 verse 1 jesus is teaching he's departed from galilee when verse 1 says when jesus had finished these words he departed from galilee and came into the region of judea beyond the jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there and some pharisees came to jesus testing him and saying is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all i mean there is this um you know thought and i've read stuff about this that they would they would bring up all kinds of ridiculous items like the, she burnt the meal and she's worthy to be divorced and the, the jews were granting it you know i've never read actual divorce papers and stuff but uh from the ancient days but the idea is that that would be absolutely ridiculous you know why would you you know end a marriage on, on something so frivolous 
but let alone just, hey, hey, we just don't get along. And, you know, the reason I've said all along where God brings, you know, what God brings together, and it's in this passage, is that <laughs> whether you marry somebody because you were so alike or they were so different from you, whatever the reason is, and now you find that an aggravation, you've got to work through it. You've, God wants you to grow in a situation where you would never grow like you um, would if you were just single. This is part of what marriage does. But these people were getting divorced for any reason at all. And verse 4, and he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You know, generic, this is the idea, this is what God, expects for, God expected for all humanity. All right? And this is why we even say in our culture, even though in our culture we wouldn't say that everyone's a Christian, we would still hope that everyone would understand this foundation, that this is the bedrock of a family, that one man to one woman. So Jesus says, have you not read this? And he quotes that passage like I told you. Verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Now that one flesh, again, is there, there's a spiritual union. There is some type of, there is some type of well, there's an aspect of how the physical union gets it um, played out. I can't go beyond that. There's so many debates on what this one flesh means. I was talking to a student from Moody about a year ago, and there's some really even whacked out stuff going out there about how you know you you become this metaphysical and join in this, and, and it all ties together in, in, in a spiritual level. All God to me is saying there's some type of uniting with the spirits. There's some type of uniting that happens within the physical, um, and, and it plays out where you know. I can see it as Becky and I have been married now. It's been 29 years in June. We start thinking alike. We start talking alike. We start, um, you know, it's it's even beyond um, comprehension sometimes. Literally, it happened like, I can't tell you how many countless times it happened this week where I started saying A, Becky would say B, and then I'd come back C, and she'd say D, and we're all on the same page on something. That's part of that union. So... God brings two together, and then he says, verse 7, then he said to them, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, and he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. So God doesn't want divorce, but I say to you, whoever marries his wife, um, except for immorality, and marries another and commits adultery. That's true. So there is a sense where if I just walk out on my spouse and she didn't commit adultery, I didn't commit adultery, um, but then she goes out and remarries, she's causing, I would be causing her if she remarried to commit adultery, which would not be good. And I think the judgment comes upon me um, as well. So verse 10, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man and woman is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it is given. And then he goes on to this statement that ties into our celibacy. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who are made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. People who decide they're going to be celibate. He who is able to accept this, let him accept, it. let him accept it. So in all of this, I'm hoping you're starting to see God looks at marriages incredibly serious. And you say, well, wait a second. There's no way I want to I, I deal with this. Well, this is the reality. This is what God said. 
And that pressure is on the hope because turn back to 1 Corinthians 7. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that what does God want in verse 11? Reconciliation. God wants the two to be brought together. He wants the marriage to be restored because when believers get married, there's a different dimension. And so, so on your sheets there, you say, that's the state divorce. Well, what about the biblical divorce? Well, the biblical divorce is when God allows marriage, remarriage. Okay, that's the key, remarriage. So we went into that in Matthew 19. So here's the idea. Sexual immorality has occurred by a sinning spouse. And so you fill in that blank. If that has occurred, then we need to understand that they are no longer bound. And I, again, refer to that book, Guy Duty. He does incredible work on this concept that we're going to see this expression used later in verses 12 to 16. The idea of bound is the idea that you're no longer under the constrictions of marriage and therefore you can get remarried. And so if this isn't properly taught, you can destroy people's lives. And as we know, people that went to World War II and they were over there fighting. And I don't know if it's happened lately in the current wars, but I do know, we, some of you guys know a personal example. Man goes over to World War II, fights, and while he's fighting, giving his life for our, you know, putting his life on the line for our country, his wife divorces him. He comes back home and she's remarried to another person. And all of a sudden, it's like he's treated as a second class Christian. Because now he wants to get married again. He's 22 years old. He's just almost got himself killed. And people who have not understood this passage had the audacity to treat him as a second-class Christian. And I do get upset about it because it ruined a man's life. And, 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 and not only was his wife sinful, but then the church turns on him and makes him feel like he's horrible. Well, that, when we talk about biblical remarriage, they are free. And what they have done is they've done the right thing if they've gone out and gotten remarried. And it hasn't, in my mind, disqualified them from any office, being a pastor, being an elder, being a deacon. Because the concept of being a one-woman man is that you're faithful to your spouse. And a person goes off to war and they're faithful to their spouse and their, faith, their spouse wasn't faithful to them. Why blame them for their, that sin? So yes, I do get passionate about this. But here comes the caveat. This idea with the biblical divorce, there's something that a lot of people will miss. And you think, and, and this is sort of like with this exception clause, people think, oh, wow, you're, you, you know, I've heard this explained. I, the, the, a famous pastor down in Indianapolis explained it this way. When you give this exception clause, it's like you've got a cage full of birds and you've opened up the, up, up the cage door and all the birds are going to fly out and everyone's going to escape. That's, that is forcing man's analogy on God's word. God has given this as the exception clause. And, and because of that exception clause, this very next point you have to understand needs to be understood in context. And this is, and the offended spouse can go with the biblical divorce if they cannot work through forgiveness issues. Then we cannot, as a church, say, wow, you didn't forgive, so therefore you needed to stay, re- stay married. No, if, if a spouse comes to me and says, look, 
you know, I've tried to work through this. I tried to work through this. My spouse has offended me. My spouse had this affair. My spouse did this. My spouse did that. And I've tried to work through forgiveness, and I just can't get to that point. Then I guess we've got to come to the point and say, go ahead and get divorced. But you are the one who's going to stand before God, and you're the one who's going to say, I couldn't forgive. We know the ultimate desire, the ultimate plan is God wants marriages to work and we all offend our spouse. We all do things that bring about issues where we need to forgive. And, and yet, I've got to say as a pastor, this is something where we've got to theologically deal with it. Okay? Yeah. And so, i go back. So the idea here is for a biblical divorce... Sexual immorality has occurred, and God then allows that person to say, listen, this is, in God's rules, gives me the out. But remember, this is why I went through those principles, and I quoted the Malachi passage. God hates divorce. God doesn't want divorce. And this week, I went through some different... um, blogs of people that have been divorced and and no been through affairs and been through different situations and they talk about the joy of having their marriages kept together and restored and better than ever and better than the marriages where people don't work through issues because sometimes you work through an issue and you're closer than ever and i want to encourage everyone because that is what our god of second chances is all about that god is a god of second chances but somebody could be sitting here saying, well, wait a second, you know, God, didn't Jesus say, you know, doesn't God say that the, the, the divorce isn't good? Absolutely, I know that. I am not trying to just let everyone get out and get divorced. But here's something that a lot of people don't understand. And I want to read this. I thought this is, I thought, one of the um, best insights. John MacArthur wrote this. And it's in response, if anybody thinks there should be no divorce at all. And he says this. He goes, basically speaking about the Old Testament. God had, had taken Israel as a wife. In the Old Testament, it's important that you recognize in the passages like the book of Ezekiel, I think it's 16 through 18, God, God, 16, God takes Israel as a wife. So God takes Israel as a wife, and like Hosea's Gomer, she too was unfaithful. Though Isaiah, the, through Isaiah, the Lord rebuked Israel for her spiritual adultery in worshiping pagan deities. And says this, where is the certificate of divorce? He then asked rhetorically, by which I have sent your mother away. That's Isaiah 50 verse 1. The answer, of course, was that God had not given such a certificate of divorce because just as Hosea with Gomer, God was not ready to put Israel away. The expression of put Israel away was to divorce her. Despite her consistent adultery, spiritual adultery that she committed against him. She had no freedom from her relationship to God that would allow her to consummate relationships with other gods. Finally, however, MacArthur goes on to write, he goes, by the time of Jeremiah, after pleading with his people for some 700 years to forsake idolatry and return to him, God did something startling. He he writes, have you seen what faithless Israel did? He asked the prophet, She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. And I thought, after she had done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, 
Because of her unrelenting hardness of heart in persisting with her unfaithfulness, I had sent her away, the Lord said. That's in Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 to 8, and given her a writ of divorce. God divorced Israel. It was on the basis of her spiritual adultery that God, as it were, finally gave Israel a certificate of divorce. He goes on to say, in light of God's spiritual divorce and eventual remarriage to Israel, it is surely not possible to claim that Scripture recognizes no grounds at all for divorce and remarriage, as some ancient rabbis claimed and some Christians still claim today. God does not give us illustrations of his own righteous behavior that we cannot follow. If he finally divorced idolatrous and unrepentant Israel after long years of forgiveness and mercy, it cannot be wrong for a man or a woman to divorce a continually adulterous and unrepentant partner after long years of tolerance. And, and so please understand, divorce isn't the plan, you know, and so many people play the game today where they're living together but not married, which God vile hates. If you're living, you're having premarital sex, God is looking at you, and that's judgment, and you need to repent. God is a forgiving and gracious God, but like I said, and I use this illustration, where people think they're getting away with it, and we've seen the high number of people that live together, have sex before marriage, and then they end up getting divorced because I believe that's part of God's judgment. He won't give peace afterwards. So what, what we need to understand, for Christians married to Christians, you look on your sermon notes, don't initiate a divorce. There are spiritual, there are divorce options, the state option, there's the biblical option. You hope that if you have to get a divorce, it's going to be the biblical one. Someone says, wait a second, I've gotten the state, but my spouse hasn't had the, my spouse hasn't had any affair. They haven't started dating anybody else, you know, then that's part of the pressure for you to be praying and working to get reconciled. That's what God wants for the two of you. Let me finish up with what Warren Wisby said. Warren Wisby wrote, happy marriages are not accidents. They are the result of commitment, love, mutual understanding, sacrifice, and hard work. If a husband and wife are fulfilling their marriage vows, they will enjoy a growing relationship that will satisfy them and keep them true to each other. Except for the possibility of sudden temptation, no husband or wife would think of a relationship with another person. So long as their relationship at home is growing and satisfying, and the pure love of a husband or wife is the protection against sudden temptation. The disciples' response to Christ's teaching showed that they disagreed with him. Think about that. When they said, if there's no way to get out of a bad marriage, then you're better off staying single, was their argument. And Jesus didn't want them to consider divorce as an out because they would not have a serious attitude towards marriage. And that's why in Matthew 19, Jesus made it clear that each man and woman must consider God's will concerning marriage. Some people should not get married because of physical or emotional problems from birth. Others should not get married because of their responsibilities to society. They've been made eunuchs by men and, or um, someone that an only child who must care for an aged parent must be an example of this, this category. I, I don't know why he says that. But the Apostle Paul says, says, you know, if you stay single, you can serve the Lord better. Jesus did not teach that an offended mate had to get a divorce. So if you're in that situation, you don't have to get a divorce if your spouse had an affair on you. Certainly there can be forgiveness, patient healing, and restoration of the broken relationship. This would be the Christian approach to the problem, but sad to say because of hardness of hearts, it is sometimes impossible to heal the wounds and save the marriage. Divorce is the final option, not the first option. 
So next week, we're going to get into the even longer section. But for now, remember, if you've been touched by divorce, that God is a God of second chances. And I've had discussions with a pastor that had two major divorces going on in his church. And it brought great agony. It divides a church because we're a church family. Whenever someone in a church family goes through the divorce, it hurts all of us. Okay? The fact that divorce is so rampant just tells me that it's clear than ever that people need to get saved. People need to be right with the Lord. And that's what we need to do. And we need to promote, promote forgiveness because we live in such a, a vile, we live in such a vile, sinful day. And um, last week I said this and I repeat it. If God has sovereignly brought you two together in marriage, no matter what problems you're going through, no matter what attracted you, I pray that you realize that, you know, whatever brought you together and maybe you're saying, boy, I don't think I'm in love anymore or I realized when I got married, I really didn't love this person like I thought I did, which is a common thing. I, I married wrong, which, you know, <laughs> I've been through this enough where people have said, we got married too young, we got married too early. I mean, we got married too late. I was in my, we were just teenagers, we got married. We were 27 when we got married. We were in our 30s. I've dealt with so many people from so many different aspects of life. I just, a friend of mine, his 35-year-old, his his 21-year-old daughter just married a 35-year-old man. He's fearful that they're gonna come back and say, look, there was just too much of a gap. Whatever caused you to get married, don't come back and say, that's now the cause for your divorce. What I'm trying to say is you've got to work through things. This is what we want to do. What God brings together, let no man tear asunder. Work through your issues. Work through your issues. And my hope, my desire, as I've often said, you know, it's better to marry than to burn. And if you're a young person and you want to have sex, get married. If you found the right person, And I have seen over and over and over how God provides for families. It's it's been amazing. I don't know if I've got a couple minutes. I have presided, when I was the college and career pastor at Lincoln, in Lincoln, Nebraska, over 30, I I probably did 70 or 80 marriages, but 30 of the marriages were kids that were under 20 years old. And now 30 years later, every one of those marriages but one is still together and flourishing. And every one of them, I have seen how God continually, continually, continually provided for them and provided the income and provided what they needed when children came along, okay? And so please just understand, God loves marriage. He wants marriage to work. He wants people to stay together. And, and whatever issues you have, if you have God at the heart of your life, then I believe you can work through them. And, and work through your marriage. But I tell you, if you don't have God in your life, fear. Because what I have seen is that it's a nightmare. And like I've said before, you're dating someone, they're an unbeliever, you think you're gonna be fine. Once you get married, things change. And people sometimes, they don't believe us, but they'll see. And when they see, what, even if a person, a couple doesn't get divorced, They never have that unity that a believer can have. So my hope, my desire is that you want to pursue God more than anything. And by pursuing God, then you will have the first key part of a good marriage. Because nobody can have a good marriage, I think, without God at the heart of their life. So that's why I tell you all, make sure you believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you 
that you've given so much to marriage, you want us to understand how a marriage is to work, how a marriage is to operate, and these touchy issues of marriage, divorce, remarriage. I pray, Father, that we all get a good biblical understanding, a good biblical handle, and through it, God, some of these situations, there are marriages out there that just stink. There are couples together, and they just don't love one another. I'm praying that maybe even now that you'll start to work on those hearts and you'll soften the spouse's heart. Because if they are true believers, they should be patient, kind, not jealous. How I pray that they listen to one another. I know, God, that, that you can work a great work. And a couple that can feel like they're on edge, they hate one another, they don't, they're just spending time together, they're waiting for the other spouse to die. God, that doesn't have to be that way. And I pray, Father, for even today, someone to repent and say, you know what, I haven't been the husband or the wife that I need to be. And then, Lord, for others that have been through tough situations, things that have tested their marriage, continue to strengthen them for forgiveness, to be a testimony to the world of the God of second chances. Because, God, you've done that. But perhaps there's people in marriages and there are people that are out there and they don't know you, God. I pray, Lord, that, that this prompts them to start thinking and start thinking about how important it is to have you at the heart of their relationship. And as we come back even next week, I hope that comes even more clear as we deal with a believer married to an unbeliever. Bless us, God, because we live in a sexually perverse society. And there's all kinds of temptations out there. And whether it is TV, movies, internet, books, and then just the attitudes of a culture that has seen morality turned on its head, we pray, Father, that you'll keep us pure in these dark days. In Christ's name, amen.